For all you elk hunters out there, chasing turkeys is basically the same thing. I know the reaction you just gave me, but don't knock it till you try it and don't try it without OnX. The Hunt app will not only help you find new areas on public ground, but I use it to find out landowner info to get permission on private ground that I see birds on as well. OnX Hunt has a special offer for you. Use code CAL to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com hunt and find more birds this spring. Hey, I just sat down with the owners and operators of Maui Nui Venison. They're on a mission to balance access deer populations on Maui while giving back to the community and run a totally sustainable operation. For folks like me who want to get your own meat but aren't always successful, you can become a snack subscriber, get some access deer sticks sent right to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I venison.com and use promo code cal for 20 percent off your first order outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems things like hard starts rough performance and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup sea foam can help your engine run better and last longer simply pour a can in your gas tank hunters and anglers rely on sea foam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season Pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. That's SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. From Meat Eaters World News Headquarters in Bozeman, Montana, this is Cal's Week in Review with Ryan Cal Callahan. Now, here's Cal. 11,000 birds were killed during a hailstorm in and around Montana's Big Lake Wildlife Management Area. Big Lake is located in Stillwater County, Montana, and is a seasonal home to thousands of waterfowl and wetland birds. 70-mile-per-hour winds and baseball-sized hail hit the area last week, killing and maiming an estimated 13,000 waterfowl and wetland birds by blunt force trauma. Fish and Wildlife Parks officials inspected birds with internal damage, smashed skulls, broken wings, and feathers. Among the types of birds injured are cormorants, pelicans, ducks, geese, and gulls. It seems the bigger birds took the brunt of the hail. 40% of cormorants and pelicans left on the lake were injured, while only 5% of ducks left on the lake showed signs of injury. I'd like to point out that this is just a freak weather occurrence, strong enough to break windows, destroy crops, and generally cause all sorts of damage. Hail is formed when updrafts and thunderstorms carry water droplets high enough to freeze. Big hailstones are caused by lots of water droplets freezing together, and they eventually drop when they are too heavy for the updraft in the storm. I just want to point that out, as some of the headlines I read in regards to this story seem to want to somehow vilify or demonize the weather. Hail, or the hailstone, or hailstorm, does not have any nefarious sort of ability or intention. (laughs) This is just nature being nature. Not as uh, one outlet put it, hail slaughtering 11,000 birds. Again, hail doesn't slaughter, it just falls. Just frozen water the size of a baseball falling from the sky. Not fun to be hit by, but not evil either. On a positive note, Montana Fish, Wildlife, and Parks says the lake is still full of birds and life will go on. This week, I'm going to talk about access, more old fish, the ESA, and so much more. 
But first, I'm going to tell you about my week. This is a bit of a cliffhanger, if you will. By the time this podcast is aired, I will have been hunting elk for a week out on a chunk of Nature Conservancy ground in eastern Oregon called the Zumwalt Prairie Preserve. The words hunting and preserve may not go hand in hand for many of you, but this nearly 33,000 acre preserve is private ground. In fact, it is the largest private preserve in Oregon. The aim of the Zumwalt Prairie Preserve is to protect and maintain the intact native bunch grass prairie through grazing management, prescribed burns, improving the health of native plant species, while trying to diminish the number of invasive plant species moving in. You'll notice that I did not say grow big bull elk or big buck mule deer, although they are there, I'm told. I am really excited to go out and check this place out. I know several folks from this part of the eastern Oregon. I've spent some time in the area, and it is absolutely beautiful country. Additionally, what the Nature Conservancy is doing with the Zumwalt Prairie Preserve is a really important example of private ground with a public access component. The public can go to the Zumwalt Prairie to check out what's going on just about any time of the year, or if you are a hunter and want to be a part of active management, you can apply for a cow tag and help push critters around the prairie, which mitigates overgrazing while putting meat in the freezer. There is roughly 2.3 billion acres of land in the United States, only 640 million acres of which are public. And some of those acres we, the public, can't even access. But I'll get to an example of that in a minute. What this means is a whole heck of a lot of public wildlife resides on private ground. That's why access programs on private ground and through private ground are important. Anyway, I'm really excited to go out and see all this firsthand, talk conservation with the Nature Conservancy, and the role of hunting in the management of the prairie ecosystem. One last fun fact for you. As a non-resident hunter in the state of Oregon, I paid about 160 bucks for a hunting license, and the elk tag was another 570 When you purchase these items online through the Oregon Department of Fish and Wildlife, your receipt says the following. Thank you for your purchase through the Oregon Department of Fish and Wildlife's licensing system. It is purchases from customers like you that ensure the thriving bounty of fish, wildlife, and habitats that Oregonians love. We appreciate your contribution to the fishing, hunting, and wildlife viewing community in Oregon. I'm just going to let that linger for a little bit. All right, moving on. We've got a lot to cover, and we're going to start out with a quick hitter I failed to deliver on in last week's episode. I previously talked about the bigmouth buffalo carp being the oldest known freshwater fish species in the world. A female bigmouth buffalo from Pelican Rapids, Minnesota, was aged through bomb radiocarbon dating at 112 years old. I also mentioned the oldest known saltwater fish species being the Greenland shark. I failed to go into detail on this amazing shark species, so I'll do that now. The Greenland shark is our oldest living vertebrate. Individual Greenland sharks have been aged through radiocarbon dating beyond 390 years old, with an estimated age range up to 512 years old. It is also believed that the female Greenland shark does not hit sexual maturity until the age of 150. That's a long time to think about reproducing. The Greenland shark can grow up to 2,400 pounds and 24 feet in length. Stomach contents have varied from crustaceans to polar bears, eels to reindeer, and horses. 
Don't worry, these sharks aren't raiding any horse stalls at night. They just take advantage of what falls into the icy fjords, as far as we know anyway. The average cruising speed of a Greenland shark is less than a mile per hour, so it's safe to assume they aren't chasing down polar bears or reindeer, but rather feeding on them when they drop to the bottom of the ocean. The Greenland shark can also be on the menu. The national dish of Iceland is Greenland shark that has been allowed to ferment for several months. The meat is apparently toxic when fresh due to high concentrations of trimethylamine oxide, or TMAO, which helps stabilize the proteins and enzymes of the shark's body from breaking down in the severely cold water and high-pressure zones this shark hangs out in. The Greenland shark will dive as deep as 7,218 feet. The deepest a human has ever made it without a submersible is 1,752 feet. If you make it to Iceland, keep in mind the slow-to-grow and slow-to-reproduce Greenland shark is a species of concern. But if you are presented with the national dish, I'm going to butcher this word, hakarl, a shark that's been headed, gutted, and left in the sand for four to six months, don't be rude. Try it. Bourdain said it was, quote, the single worst thing I've ever put in my mouth. Supposedly, the ammonia smell is hard to get past. All I can think about is that old saying about fish and family stinking after three days. Of course, it depends on the fish and the family, but four to six months is a long time. For all you elk hunters out there, chasing turkeys is basically the same thing. I know the reaction you just gave me, but don't knock it till you try it and don't try it without on X. The Hunt app will not only help you find new areas on public ground, but I use it to find out landowner info to get permission on private ground that I see birds on as well. Onyx Hunt has a special offer for you. Use code CAL to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com hunt and find more birds this spring. We've all seen plenty of gadgets and fads come and go, but here's one product that stood the test of time. Seafoam motor treatment. Lots of hunters and anglers know that seafoam helps engines run better and last longer. It's really simple. When you pour it in your gas tank, seafoam cleans harmful fuel deposits that cause engine problems. I'm talking common stuff like hard starts, rough engine performance, or lost fuel economy. Seafoam is an easy way to prevent or overcome these problems. Just pour a can in your gas tank and let it clean your fuel system. You probably know someone who has used a can of seafoam to get their truck or boat going again. I guarantee you've listened to them because I use it you know, regularly. People everywhere rely on seafoam to keep their trucks, boats, and small engines running the way they should the entire season. Help your engine run better and last longer. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. Now, a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating, you know, some organ, the heart or a chunk of liver, off the first animal you kill. I had that when I was a little kid, and it was a big deal. Organ meats were always prized by frontier people who knew the importance of getting a lot of different minerals and nutrients. And, as often is the case, those guys were on to something. Because organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. And you can get the same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from heart and soil made exclusively from regeneratively raised grass-fed and finished cattle heart and soils unique freeze-drying process means all those important nutrients are trapped in 
ensuring you experience every one of the benefits of nature's superfood in a clean, convenient, taste-free capsule. Find out more at heartandsoil.co and make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER. Moving on, but sticking with species of concern. Just recently, and as promised, the Trump administration has altered the rules regarding application and enforcement of the Endangered Species Act, or the ESA. Whether you're a Trump lover or a Trump hater, guess what? This is nothing new. Almost every single administration has messed with the ESA rules to some degree. What we folks with the big brains who have assumed the role of biodiversity manipulators on this planet need to be concerned with is how the words in the ESA, changed or not, are interpreted and implemented by an administration. One recent change I am particularly concerned about is the shifting definition of critical habitat. Previously, when looking at a species, the historic range of that species was taken into context when evaluating recovery or protection options. With the current change of critical habitat to only include habitat that is currently occupied, it is possible that we will not provide enough room for the species of concern continued survival. Animals, humans included, need shelter, water, forage, and enough space to mix and spread our DNA. By only looking at the habitat currently occupied by a species, as opposed to the species' historic or potential future range, we create a lose-lose scenario. Take, for example, the disconnected habitat of the mountain goat. Imagine that goats are now relegated to a single mountaintop. We know they once lived on numerous mountaintops, but got booted out or moved around for various reasons. Now, under the new ESA language, we only consider that singular mountaintop where the goats are currently living as goat habitat. Even if that island population was incredibly healthy, it would still be at risk due to the species' limited space. You can imagine an island with a fire or a disease situation, there's nowhere to run. Such a scenario would severely limit the long-term viability of the mountain goat. To clarify, I'm using goats as an illustrative example. They're not a current species of concern. My point is that we voters who care about species and habitat need to stay on top of issues like this one and not get baited into a bunch of partisan BS. We need to be informed, active participants. Call your elected officials. Make sure they know that you are paying attention. If you see something amiss with our collective wildlife management, you would better call. In the same way that if you don't weigh in, you don't wrestle. If you don't hold our elected officials accountable, you don't get to bitch. Moving on to good news out of the state of California. The largest wildlife overpass in the world is set to begin construction over the 101 sometime in the next two years with a completion date of roughly 2023. If you can recall past episodes of Cal's Week in Review, where we've covered the issue of LA's island population of mountain lions in the Santa Monica Mountains and Griffith Park. These populations of mountain lions are technically healthy, but due to their genetic isolation from other mountain lion populations, the risk of these isolated cats eventually dying from symptoms that limit their ability to hunt or reproduce caused by inbreeding are very high. The major cause of isolation is the indiscriminate killer of cat, dog, and even human, the 101, and the 300,000 plus daily commuters that travel on the 101. 
Beth Pratt, the California director of the National Wildlife Federation, puts it in modern dating terms. Quote, For those of us in L.A., having a romance prospect quashed by traffic is something we can all relate to. With the 200-foot-long, 165-foot-wide Liberty Wildlife Overpass that spans 10 lanes of motorized human mayhem, the cats and a whole host of other critters, including birds, lizards, and bugs, will be able to get over the traffic instead of trying to get through it. Well done, California and L.A. As I've said in the past, you folks could use a little more connectivity with the natural world. Looks like you'll soon get it. One last side note on this one, just an irksome point that I cannot sidestep. LA's most famous lion, P-22, the male lion that lives near the just-as-famous Hollywood sign, the face of LA's mountain lions, his image is what you will more than likely find if you start digging around on this issue. He's on billboards and t-shirts, he's got his own Instagram and Facebook page, but that cat, P-22, The Lion of Griffith Park, the mascot of the Liberty Wildlife Overpass, will still be a lonely kitty upon completion of the overpass, because the overpass will not connect to Griffith Park. Sounds like P-22 could use a better agent. (coughs) Moving on to the charismatic canid desk. Despite the fearsome reputation of wolves, wolves are rarely documented getting tangled up with humans. The headlines we usually see involve grizzly bears and mountain lions. Heck, bison are putting up some serious numbers this year, which make these next couple of stories a little more notable. Earlier this month, a family of four was attacked by a rogue wolf at a campground in Canada's Banff National Park. The New Jersey natives were fast asleep when the terror unraveled and the wolf started to bite its way into their tent. Once the wolf got through, it grabbed onto the father's arm and proceeded to drag him away. Woken by the family's screams, a neighboring tenter ran over and gave the canine a kick. The neighboring camper, and Good Samaritan in this case, said, quote, I arrived on their site, and their tent had been mostly collapsed, and there was just a back half of a wolf sticking out from the entrance. The Good Samaritan's punt to this particular puppy startled the wolf enough to make it loosen its bite and run out of the tent. As it stood in their campsite, the father and neighbor threw rocks at the wolf to get it to leave. Shortly thereafter, officials closed the campground, they found the wolf lurking not too far away, and killed it. A necropsy determined the wolf wasn't healthy, likely because of old age, and a DNA test determined this was, in fact, the same wolf. Biologists believe the old age and malnutrition was the main factor in this unprovoked attack. The father, an off-duty policeman, wasn't terribly injured, things could have been worse, in part because the wolf was old enough that his teeth were worn down. The New Jersey native actually poked a bit of fun at being gummed by the wolf while admitting that there will be some psychological after effects. On a Facebook post, he actually wrote, the wolf didn't have rabies, just a taste for fine meats. I know that sounds odd, not the victim shrugging off his injuries on what was a very scary encounter or having the ability to bring in a bit of humor to the ordeal. What's odd to me is I wouldn't expect this type of behavior from a wolf in Canada. Canadians, after all, are kind of known for their general politeness. Don't listen to him, eh? He's a hoser. Russian wolves, however, have a history of challenging humans, even heavily armed ones. This next story is one I have admittedly doubted, criticized, and debated with my friend Joe, who loves this story. So before I begin, Joe, you were right, I was wrong, and moving on. During World War I, Whiskey Whiskey One, as old Steve likes to call it, 
large packs of wolves became displaced by the war. Some of these wolves moved into more populated areas. In rural villages, the wolves attacked calves, sheep, goats, and in two cases, children. Wolves also showed up on the front lines, feeding on the fallen and sometimes taking advantage of incapacitated fighters. According to a 1917 Oklahoma City Times article, parties of Russian and German scouts met recently and were hotly engaged in a skirmish when a large pack of wolves dashed on the scene and attacked the wounded. Hostilities at once suspended, and Germans and Russians instinctively attacked the pack, killing about 50 wolves. With a common foe, the two sides agreed to a ceasefire whenever the wolves interrupted a battle. The gloves were off, as soldiers used poison, machine guns, and hand grenades to fend off the wolves. For a brief moment, a kind of peace spread across the battlefield, even though gunshots and grenade explosions continued to ring out. Historians estimate that hundreds of wolves were killed by soldiers during the war, and eventually the surviving wolves fled the war zone to escape the carnage. For more on the Canadian wolf attack and Whiskey Whiskey One soldiers hunting wolves, head over to TheMeatEater.com and check out recent articles by Meat Eaters Joe Farinato and Spencer Newharth. All right, if you haven't learned enough just yet, I'm going to leave you with one more. This one is coming to you from the Land and Access Desk a newly published joint report from the Theodore Roosevelt Conservation Partnership and Onyx Maps. TRCP is a sportsman's-based conservation group that does a phenomenal job working from Capitol Hill in D.C. all the way down to the grassroots levels of hunting and fishing access issues. Onyx Maps developed what is now a mobile mapping app that is basically indispensable for knowing where you're at, not just what property you're on, but who owns the property next to where you are, and who owns the property after that, and where those property lines are. Like I said, it's indispensable, and it can go on your phone. A few years ago, TRCP and OnX produced a landlocked federal land report that is an absolute must-see. The federal land report shows all the millions of acres of federally managed lands that are inaccessible to the public, broken down state by state. It is eye-opening, to say the least. This year, the landlocked report focuses on state-owned lands that are inaccessible. This incredible resource lets you check out how much state land you could be using to hunt, fish, bird watch, or read a book. However, right now, you can't access it for whatever reason. So go to www.trcp.org and take a look. They also explain how these lands became inaccessible. This is important stuff. You and I and every other citizen are co-owners in a heck of a lot of public land. Download the report at www.trcp and read up. All right, that's all I got for you this week. Do me a big favor. And if you found something interesting, share it with a friend. Share it with two friends. You know, I'm not picky. Go to wherever podcasts are streamable and downloadable. Leave me a review. As per usual, you can always get a hold of me at A-S-K-C-A-L at TheMeatEater.com. That's AskCal at TheMeatEater.com. Hey, I just sat down with the owners and operators of Maui Nui Venison. They're on a mission to balance Axis deer populations on Maui 
while giving back to the community and run a totally sustainable operation. For folks like me who want to get your own meat but aren't always successful, you can become a snack subscriber, get some Axis Deer sticks sent right to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I venison.com and use promo code cal for 20 percent off your first order outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems things like hard starts rough performance and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer simply pour a can in your gas tank hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season Pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. That's SeafoamWorks.com to learn more.